this is Kara Foster from First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in Madisonville, Kentucky, and you're listening to our sermons podcast. And if you want to find out more information, you can connect with us at www.madisonvilledisciples.org or come in person at 1030 College Drive, uh, Madisonville, Kentucky. Subscribe and enjoy these podcasts. So for the next few Sundays, I'm going to be talking about half-truths. I've never actually done this before, but I got a bit inspired when I was um, studying for the Lord's Prayer series, and I came across this book by Adam Hamilton, United Methodist Minister, on this very topic, and it inspired me to do my own look at this topic. When I say half-truths, I mean sayings and expressions that have um, a sound of faith, things that Christians often say to one another, but sometimes they work and sometimes they just seem to miss the mark. And I think sometimes we just say things and not really think about what we really mean when we are saying them. So I'm going to begin today with a little disclaimer. So this is going to be a different for me, a disclaimer about this message you're about to hear. My hope in doing this is that, if anything, you have an opportunity to just reflect upon the power and the meaning of words that we say to one another. I also hope that in some big or small way, you hear God speak to you through these scriptures and even through this one-way conversation that we're having this morning. Now, if I finish this morning and you get to the end and you think I 110% disagree with everything I just heard this morning, that is okay because we believe here that all of us are empowered and called to read and discern scripture for ourselves and to hear how God is speaking through the scriptures. And you are welcome, and I encourage you to discern and really study these passages. But all of us, all of us come across people in our lives, people we love and care about, who we see going through really hard things, uh, incredible suffering incredible grief and loss. And sometimes we might not know what to say to them. In fact, I think it's sometimes in those moments that are especially hard and especially scary that we sometimes reach for these expressions because we just want something to say in the face of so much loss and suffering. And I wanted to talk about these passages Because I think we use these phrases in important times. And sometimes we can have unintended consequences by these phrases. I think about the expression, um, if you were to say uh, to someone who just recently experienced an incredible loss and death in their life, and you said to someone, well, God must have needed another angel in the choir, they might not find that comforting in that moment. Adam Hamilton writes in his book, one of the reasons he wanted to write about this book, he says, here's why it's important to examine these particular half-truths. I think they can sometimes hurt people. 
I think they can lead people to conclusions about God that not only are untrue, but that may push some people away from God. I remember a woman in my own church who lost her husband in his early 40s. She was widowed with three young kids. And she shared with me years after uh, this experience of walking the road of grief that in those early few months, she genuinely worried that she might hurt or cuss somebody out, the next person that told her it was his time or that God must have needed him. She told me, she was a good Christian lady, and she said, Kara, I thought I was going to cuss somebody out who said that to me in those moments. Those phrases did not ring true for her in those times. So let's talk about that phrase, God helps those who help themselves. I wanted to particularly lift up this phrase this morning. Because I read that there was a Barna Pew study of Christians, and this phrase is at the very top of the list of most common phrases that people think comes from the Bible that is not actually in the Bible. In fact, over half of the people who responded to this study said, yes, God helps those who help themselves is scripture, and it's not. It actually comes, it dates back to five centuries before Christ. It was part of Greek mythology. Different philosophers and teachers and cultures and languages used this phrase in their time and place. But where it really took root in the American consciousness was when Ben Franklin published a book called... um, Oh, it's something almanac. The Poor Richard's Almanac in 1736. This was an enormously popular book for its time and place. And in that Poor Richard's Almanac in the 1700s, it had the phrase, God helps those who help themselves. And it really took root here in the United States. And there's certainly a part of you, I think a part of us all, when we hear this phrase this morning, we think, yeah, that rings true. God helps those who help themselves. And in certain situations, it may fit perfectly. You think God gave us a brain. God gave us a heart. God gave us feet and legs and experiences to learn and grow from. God gave us free will to choose and to act. It seems to fit. In our very reality, we can think how this expression can make sense. I thought of... um, You know, if someone is looking for a job, someone needs a new job, they're not going to just pray for a new job. I hope they pray for a new job, but they won't just stop there. They're going to fill out a resume. They're going to make phone calls and, and knock on doors and talk to people. There's actions that they have to do. St. Benedict, um, in his rule that he wrote for uh, organizing Christian communities, the the uh, monasteries and convents that shaped their life, he had a part of that rule was he had a phrase, ora et labora, which means pray and work. For Benedict, you can work and you can pray. And you can pray and you can work. That for him, the two go together, work and prayer. And that seems to fit. God helps those who help themselves. We work and we pray. 
God gave us feet to move and to action. I think of that old joke. I know you've heard it before about the man who was on a rooftop of rising floodwaters, and he was stuck on his roof. And a man comes by in a canoe and says, climb down off your roof and get in my boat. And the man says, no, thank you. God's going to save me. And then a while longer, the floods go higher, and a speedboat comes by. And a man says, jump down and get in my boat. I'll take you out of here. And he said, no, the Lord's going to save me from this. And finally, a helicopter comes and drops down its ladder and says, climb up this ladder, and we'll get you out of here. And he says, no, the Lord is going to save me. Well, the waters rise, the man dies, he goes to heaven, and the very first thing he says is, hey, I believed, I believed the Lord was going to save me. And God says, I sent you two boats and a helicopter. It's that sense that God gives us a mind and a heart to act and respond and to use it wisely. There's even a passage in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 that I wanted to reference here today that seems to fit this situation. And it happens, Paul writes this to the Thessalonian church because um, he had helped to start the Thessalonian church and um, there seemed to be some in the community that were being idle. They essentially thought, hey, Jesus is coming back next Tuesday, so I'm not going to work or do anything. I'm just going to sit around and enjoy myself and wait for Jesus to come back. And Paul writes in his letter, in his second letter to the Thessalonian church, this is not how it's supposed to be. And this is what he says. It's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, if you want to follow along with me. I'm going to start in verse 6 this morning. Paul says, Now we command you, beloved... In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from believers who are living in idleness and not according to the tradition that they receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you. We did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day so that we might not be a burden to any of you. This was not because we do not have the right but in order to give you an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this command. Anyone unwilling to work should not eat. For we hear that some of you are living in idleness, mere busybodies not doing any work. Now such persons we command and extort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Brothers and sisters, do not be weary in doing what is right. Here, that expression seems to fit. Paul is speaking against the idea that there should be all prayer and no work. Don't be weary in doing what is right. He reminds them that while he was with them, he earned his keep. He worked. And if you can't not be a burden to someone, Paul wants you to do that. God helps those who help themselves. That's how the expression goes. But here's where I happen to think this expression begins to fall apart a little, where it seems to do a disservice. And this week I thought to myself, when have I heard that expression used, God helps those who help themselves? Well, I don't know about you, but I have mostly heard it 
when someone is offering an excuse for why they're not going to help someone. They use it as a reasoning for why they're not going to help someone. You see someone who says they are hungry, and you say, I'm not going to give you any food. Go get a job. I've got a job. I work. You get a job, too. God helps those who help themselves, right? But the problem with that, the problem with using this phrase as an excuse is that the truth is we only have a tiny glimpse of someone's story. We just have a tiny little glimpse of what's going on in someone's life. We never know the full story. Paul, who writes to the church in Thessalonians, he felt that he knew them. He started that church. He knew who was working hard and who was just sitting around. He felt like he knew them and could speak to that situation. But we don't. It's never as simple as we like to think it is sometimes. And it's important, I think, to have humility when we come across other people's stories and situations. We just know a tiny fraction, and we don't know the whole story. And if we find ourselves coming up with a lot of excuses and a lot of rationalizations for why we are or are not going to help somebody else, as a follower of Jesus, we have to take stock of that. We have to reevaluate. And the other problem that I think this expression fails us in some ways is that there is an overwhelming tide of scriptures that actually say the opposite of this saying. Yes, the church in Thessalonians had a small fraction of people who weren't doing their part but there are so many examples. In fact, I couldn't decide what example I should share with you where the scriptures teach us that God helps those who can't help themselves. God helps those who don't know how to help themselves. And we, as followers of Jesus, are to be like that. God helps those who can't help themselves. I was trying to think of some examples, and I wanted to, I could pull just a few, but frankly, there's countless examples in the Old and New Testament. I thought of the book of James. I happen to love the book of James. It's a good, practical letter about living your Christian faith. And in chapter 1, verse 27, James says it plainly, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Well, who are the orphans and the widows of James's time? They are the people who can't help themselves. There's examples from the Psalms. Psalm 10, the helpless commit themselves to you. You have been the helper of the orphan, O Lord. You have heard their desire of the meek, and you will strengthen their heart. Psalm 18, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. There are so many examples in the scriptures where people receive God's help that they don't earn or they deserve. Jesus talked about a God who loves the broken and the lost and the hurting. I think of the parable of the sheep and the goats, Matthew 25, where the king says, whatever you did to the least of these who are members of my family, you did to me. 
I think of the parable of the lost sheep, where the shepherd loses one of his 100 sheep. And what does the shepherd do? He goes and searches. Jesus said, didn't say, you know what the shepherd does when he loses one sheep? He cuts his losses and moves on because clearly that sheep was too stupid to stay with the rest of the fold. That's not how the story goes. Jesus doesn't say, God helps sheep who help themselves. He says, no, the shepherd leaves the others and he focuses everything he has on finding that one lost little stupid sheep. He doesn't stop till he finds the lost sheep and throws a party to celebrate when he's found. I think of the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know the story. A man was robbed and beaten and left for dead in a ditch on the side of the road. And two religious people, two supposed faithful, church-going, Sunday morning people, walk right on past him. But it's the religious heretic, the heathen, the Samaritan, Jesus says, that stops and helps him, a man who can't help himself. He takes care of him, and he shows him mercy. That's the neighbor. That's the neighbor, Jesus says, the one who showed him mercy. One of the, expre- one of the reasons I think this expression can just miss the mark sometimes is that it presents an image of God who was standing outside that ditch looking down at the person in the hole, saying, come on, get yourself out of there, climb on up. And what I happen to see in Jesus, I think God gives us in Jesus Christ, not someone standing down telling you how to get out of the hole, but somebody in the ditch with us. Emmanuel, God with us. A God who loves the broken and the lost. A God who never stops searching. A God who says, come to me, all you are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus lived his life and ministry with arms outstretched to the world. The broken, the outcast, the sinner, the lost, nothing, nothing would be beyond his love and mercy. He took it all unto himself, even as he breathed his last on the cross. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. And I say this humbly this morning because there may come a time in your life when you find yourself in a hole so deep and so dark that you're not even sure you're ever going to find your way out of it again. In fact, you might even feel really bad and want to beat yourself up because you might know that the reason you're in that hole to begin with is your own fault. And when that is you, or if that ever is you, I hope, I hope you know, I hope you believe it in the fiber of your beings that God is a God who hears our cries from the pits of despair. God hears our cries. We have a Savior who was promised to never leave us or forsake us. God helps you when you don't know how to help yourself. God helps you when you can't help yourself. And thanks be to God for that. Amen. Amen.